Welcome back. It's Swing Pass, the final championship episode after the New York Empire secure their second AUDL title in three seasons, their second perfect season in three seasons, going 15 and 0 in 2022 with a 22 to 14 win over the Chicago Union in Saturday's championship matchup at Bree Stevens Field in Madison, Wisconsin. It was a beautiful summer night on the Isthmus, packed loud stands in the capital city of Ultimate, and while there was an eight-goal margin of disparity in the final score, a very riveting championship game for the majority of the first three quarters, Chicago coming out with some very aggressive and intense defense, but New York's offense proving to be too resilient against any kind of pressure this season. They have another great performance converting 14 of 19 possessions on the night, 74%. Again, they finished 2022 as the most efficient offensive unit in history. New York as a team just commits eight turnovers. It's the third championship game in a row where the AUDL champion has committed single-digit turnovers, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Is that right? I, I think so. I, I don't remember what it was in 2019. I should look back. 2019 definitely had. I would have to go back to 2018 to really remember, but I think that the Radicals committed like 12 turnovers or something. Anyways, precision is the measure of excellence in this league, and New York is the best team at that. So once again, they just handled the competition, not only at Championship Weekend, but throughout the season. And though their offense was really obviously historically impressive, the thing that I think I came away from Championship Weekend most impressed by was their defensive depth and discipline. Watching them Mm -hmm. take the talented offenses of Carolina and Chicago and box them up to a combined 30 points allowed in the two games that the Empire played at Championship Weekend, I I thought it was so representative of the not only like top level talent that they have on these rosters, but just the depth and commitment. It was something that Jack Williams talks a bunch about in this week's Tuesday toss that Evan Lepley wrote. You should go read that. The UDL.com website. But, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously we, we have a ton of stuff to get to with this weekend in general. The stars were obviously impressive also for the empire jack williams was playoff jack through and through he emerges as a championship weekend mvp i ben yacht made a series of impressive plays john randolph had his most impressive two games as a member of the empire ryan osgar charles charles weinberg excuse me and john lithiau and Solomon Rushmeyer Bailey all playing amazingly in their roles in the New York offense. It was just a true team win for the Empire. Yeah, it it really was. And yeah, it's it's the depth, it's the top to bottom depth that goes really from their depth of stars to the depth of, you know, it's weird to call them role players as as we've talked about, but you know, the the less spotlighty names on the roster 
But I, I was just so impressed offensively. I mean, we talked before about the fact that they they didn't use Elliot Chartok on offense much in their playoff uh, journey in 2021, but he was very much a part of this backfield throughout the season, into the playoffs, and that backfield of him, Ruchmeyer, Bailey, and Jack Williams, of course it was the Jack Williams show, but both those other guys, Solomon Ruchmeyer, Bailey, and Elliot Chartok, such good complementary players, and it came at a time where we just saw this shift away from the Ryan Osgar centric offense that they'd been running literally all season. And I'm cur- I'm so curious about that to see if it was like a an intentional shift offensively or if after that DC game everyone was just like, okay, they did a great job pushing Osgar downfield, making him a cutter, and then uh every team just mimicked that being, you know, Carolina and Chicago took that same approach. But I, I was just really impressed with the flexibility of the New York system as a whole, both offensively and defensively. And yeah, the performance of those more depth pieces. But yeah, like, like we've said, it's hard to call any of them depth pieces because this is just a really talented roster top to bottom. And, you know, as much as we want to also highlight the depth pieces, it would we would be remiss to not just mention that the playmakers that sort of led the charge were ostensibly three MVPs in Jack Williams, Ryan Iascar, and Benya, and honestly, a fourth in Jeff Babbitt, who came down with that massive buzzer beater at the end of the third yes. quarter against the Union, which we will get to. But, you know, it, you know, obviously, everyone basically for the Empire played excellently in their roles, but their stars really came out and did their part at establishing a level of confidence that I think just made it impossible for anyone in this championship weekend field to hang with New York. You know, like they, yeah. they routed Carolina and Chicago by the end of those games. Like there was no question who the champion was this year. And you can't always say that, you know, I think, even last year, there was such a razor-thin margin in those final games, and particularly in the championship between the Empire and the Flyers, where, you know, a turnover here or there goes differently. Even in the semifinal game with uh, the Flyers and the Union last year, you know, there's a couple of mistakes that players who don't normally make them, you know, if, the, if those flip a different way, you have completely different results and a completely different idea of the hierarchy, whereas in 2022... There's no doubt about it with this Empire team. And and what made the wins even more impressive than the scores would indicate is just, it, it's the fact that Chicago and Carolina, I wouldn't say either team played a bad game. I would say maybe you could argue Colorado played like the one bad game of championship weekend. But even in the second half, they actually put their play more together and were able to compete with Chicago a little bit better. They, they just dug themselves so much of a hole but with Carolina and Chicago, like like we've talked about, the, the defensive pressure that these teams were providing was significant. It's just when New York has Jack Williams, who's literally on fire the entire weekend, and this incredible supporting cast offensively, like they had to work at their possessions. It was just they were better at working through these different defensive looks and this diff- different defensive pressure they were facing. They were better at that than anyone else in the entire league. It was like how they dealt with that pressure and the fact that they were still able to remain so, so efficient despite this constant pressure that, that to me was like, 
I, I just feel like New York really went out and earned this championship. It wasn't like they just got lucky and played against some teams that were struggling with efficiency. It was like New York wanted this, they worked at it, and they, they're they well-deserving of this title. It's that effort component that I think you and I and a lot of other people underestimate. I think we got, you know, you know, to defend our own side, I think it was logical that we got a little bit blinded by the star talent on this New York team. But what really made them champions this year was the ethic, the work ethic, the the just like mm-hmm. top down run in your individual matchup into the ground. And you just saw that on display again and again in both the semifinals and the championship game for the Empire, where especially on defense, there was just there was a pressure on every single throw, every single reset that even the other top defenses in the field just couldn't keep up with. You know, you talk about New York facing good defensive pressure from Carolina and Chicago in back-to-back nights and being able to execute that. New York's defensive pressure against those respective offenses was even more impressive. And right at the beginning of the game against Chicago, you know, both teams kind of traded out at the beginning, had some impressive offensive holds, feeling each other out. And then Chicago was pinned up against their own goal line looking for a reset. And Arders was about to get the disc and Jabron Mieser just out of like a crouched position, almost off balance, just accelerates to the disc harder than Arders and gets a block Mm -hmm. near the goal line. Yacht hammers it to Antoine. And from there, it just felt like oh, there's New York's early advantage. And with the way that they've been playing this weekend, that's almost it. Like, that's that's how much of a guillotine it felt like New York was putting opposing un- offenses under all weekend long. Like, they did it to Carolina in the semifinals game where they just kind of broke that backfield possession, forced the Flyers into a hucking game, and essentially just forced turnovers through, you know, raw deep shot numbers. And then the next night against Chicago, who is the second most efficient offense of all time, they just immediately pressure the handler lanes and immediately get a goal line turnover and just punch it in for an easy break and essentially set up the union for the worst offensive performance of the entire season. And like we talk about it, like Chicago still played well. I still liked what their defense brought. I still liked what their offense was able to do against the empire pressure, but New York just, even after that first break, they just brought it every single point. Yeah, I, and it was, you just contrast that with like Chicago maybe bringing a similar amount of pressure. Maybe not the same defensive pressure that New York was bringing, but just New York being so well-equipped to handle everything. And, and reading the Tuesday Toss and hearing uh, Sarah Nolik talk about like the stall five resets that New York was getting off. And it's so true, like... They just seem to all be automatic on like those big around backhands to space or just like last second bailouts. Like all of their cutters too, Babbitt and Lithio being the main ones, they're so well equipped at like getting open in those high stall situations as like last ditch options. And then when you just have enough of those players on your team, like everyone just understands the system. Everyone knows what's at stake. They all want to protect possession of the disc at all costs it's just so hard to break an offense like that and they were really clicking throughout the weekend 
So I think when you talk about defense and the AUDL, one of the things you continually hear from defensive-minded tacticians and coaches is that you can't really stop everything that an offense is doing, and so you try and break it up into disparate pieces. You And then from there, you try to realign it in configurations that it's not used to being in. So maybe you can't just say, you know, you get a block on their handler resets or something, but you do something so that instead of isolating, you know, Osgar and Williams in the backfield, you instead get Osgar and Rushmar Bailey or something. And like what is so obvious with New York's offense is that no matter how many times you take it apart and reconfigure it, it's a winning combination. Like there's not a point in which you're going to get an effective B strategy from them. And I think you saw that with how effective Weinberg and Lithiau are. Like you, you start mm-hmm. to remove Osgar as the continuation striker and assist getter. You keep Jack Williams in the backfield. You do kind of push it to their, again, quote unquote, role players on the rails, which is traditionally where you can kind of get defensive pressure against good offenses. And it just doesn't matter for New York. Those guys are excellent throwers. And more importantly, they're excellent together. Like you, you can try to isolate Williams and Osgar as much as you want away from the disc, but then you're still left with Charles Weinberg putting up dime balls into space to, Six foot five, John Lithio. Like that's he. He had such a good weekend. Weinberg. They both. I mean, did, Lithio you know? did too. Yeah. And it, but it's and so it like to your point. It's so cool that Weinberg can very easily slot in as that continuation thrower in the middle of the field. Like essentially, what Oscar was doing the vast majority of the season. The New York offense really does not miss a beat because not only is like Weinberg, a great fill-in for Osgar, but a downfield Osgar is also like this extremely dynamic, extremely good cutter. And that's just like another downfield option that New York has. Osgar was on one this weekend. I know he didn't do his, you know, painter as a thrower type of stuff, but his, his ability to, like for New York to have both the, first and 1A version of like best upfield strikers and Jack Williams and Ryan Osgar and for them both to have the ability to be able to go every other or the next point just completely play away from the play and draw all the attention and just sort of like suck in a defender away from all of the action I, it's so unfair right like I know I'm just yeah. rambling here but like to watch Osgar <laughs> just pick his spots all weekend because he just trusted the rest of the offense. And so any look that he wanted to actually attack on was him basically isolating someone in space, hitting them with the most brutal one-two footwork step, and then just finding himself open. At, like there was, there was no pressure on any real singular point of New York's offense all weekend. A- as good as the defenses were playing, you just never felt them really sweating it. Yeah. I, I was thinking about Osgar's performance this weekend and in the playoffs in general, like the the fact that he was so much of this classic striking thrower all season and then was really limited as a thrower throughout the playoffs, starting with DC. I mean, he finished with negative 24 throwing yards in the championship game on 27 completions, averaging about negative one throwing yards per completion. 
Um, I, I was just thinking about that and like his case for MVP. Obviously, he was one of the MVP frontrunners heading into the playoffs. And in the back of my mind, I was like, okay, if he if he does struggle as a thrower, which he did against DC, he had four throwaways in that game. In addition to sort of having his role shift to more downfield option. But the way he performed at championship weekend and just pivoted his role entirely, like to me, that's almost, it almost makes like a stronger case for him as MVP. You know what I mean? Like he still limited throwaways and he showed that he has this like entire other dimension that he just didn't have to showcase throughout the season, but is very capable, uh, more than capable of slotting in as like the A1 cutter on the best team in the league. Oh, absolutely. I think the versatility absolutely adds a dimension to his argument. I was just going to say that I think it's a remarkable bag fumble by the fine folks at DraftKings that they don't have more prop bets based around like yardage totals and stuff. Because can you imagine... What would have happened if you had like a throwing yards line for Osgar heading into this weekend or the championship game, and then he ends up with negative 24? The house would just collect, man. Like, they're really missing out. And he had under 100 against Carolina, too. 86. And, you know, you win. On the weekend, weekend he was But again, I think. 60 total throwing yards. I think it gets back to what you were pointing out about Nolik. He kind of weaponized himself into an incredible swing passer and reset thrower. Like, it's one of those things where yardage totals don't really tell even a part of what Osgar's efficacy was as a distributor that weekend. Mm Because he was still. What did he have a throwaway all weekend? I haven't quite. He had, he had one against Chicago. He like tried one of those cross field shots in the red zone, and it, I think he threw it too far. But I just think one it was throwaway. at a point though where things were getting pretty out of hand. It was late. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it didn't really matter. But yeah, I yeah for New York to essentially remaster what their offense had been doing with its attack completely in the playoffs i i also think that that you know for as much as we kind of talk about there being all this talent in the field i think it also kind of solidifies uh Hoppes and nunez is probably co-coaches of the year just for their ability to experiment and their ability to know so well what their roster is and what they want to do with it that they have these strategies that look to us from the outside like they're on the fly but are clearly systems that they've been practicing all season and are ready to deploy at will like there's just a versatility yeah i mean that that to me like i'm really curious i I should talk to them about it like the the shift of like the osgar centric offense to now downfield cutter osgar i'm wondering if that was forced by opposing defenses or if that was a conscious shift that new or maybe it was just you know new york reacting and then we saw i guess they had like one game of adjustments that DC game where things were a little shaky with Oscar, you know, shifting to this more downfield role. But I think once they like keyed in on it and how to beat it, it obviously they looked unstoppable this weekend. But I, I was also going to add like the the work ethic and commitment to this team really starts with the coaching staff. I before this weekend had no idea how much these guys were traveling for this team this year. Charlie has to drive like three and a half hours from Pennsylvania. He lives Pennsylvania. in Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah, like every single week for practice. Nunez lives in New Jersey. He has to drive like an hour plus. 
it's ridiculous. Like it's that, you know, on top of road games and even for home games, they're traveling that same distance like that. It's the, the buy-in on this team really throughout the roster. Again, starting with the coaches is ridiculous. Again, I, I think it gets back to that work ethic, that that kind of blue collar almost mentality. We we get carried away with the talent, but what really galvanized this roster and this organization was their kind of day in, day out commitment. I mean, I was talking with a uh, player and GM Matt Stevens after the game and he was just allotting their uh their D two line essentially. So they kind of have their they're Antoine and Marquez Brownlee and Ben Yacht sort of starting D-line. And then they kind of mm-hmm. have their, their almost other guys unit. But their other guys unit has been arguably as effective at getting breaks as their starting D-line unit. And just... Well, let's say let's say the reason why. It's, it's because of the Matt Stevens hammer. The Matt Stevens D-line hammer is... Yeah, that is thing really came out of ultimate. nowhere. For what being Love number it. four all time in goals, <laughs> for him to it's, it's get so great. 110 games that. into his pro career and start deploying a hammer from nowhere. That's that. The coolest thing. I've watched a lot of New York games over the years. That thing literally <laughs> came out of nowhere. Uh, no, but you know, it, he was crediting uh, Ryan Holmes for really pulling that secondary unit together and being a huge behind-the-scenes communicator and leader in just establishing goals and expectations for what they were going to do, what the mentality was going to be on that lineup and, and kind of what to expect. And you could just see, like, even against Chicago, they were they were frustrating the union offense, which... Again, I thought played really, really well, and again acquitted itself as clearly the number two offense this season in 2022. In that second half, the the New York D two unit was just giving Chicago fits on a possession where the Union were just trying to hold. They were doing their kind of grinded out small ball, and mm-hmm. New York's D two line, which doesn't have like a traditional big either on it, they play without Yacht a lot of times. They were doing this switch-heavy defense and just confounding the reset spaces, but also doing a good enough job communicating where everyone was exchanging upfield. And again, Chicago was just kind of banging their heads against the wall and just getting five yards, reset, swing, reposition, five yards, go the opposite side of the field. Like New York was just making them sweat. And it was at a point when the game was relatively in control. And again, this is quote-unquote their their lineup of role players and supplementary guys and they're just working the number two offense and and I just again it was so representative of I think the collective talent and effort on this empire team and why they you know we were talking about it in recording AUDL weekly today probably the best team ever yeah Mike Kobira had that huge block towards the end of He'd the game. Been so the... impressive for them this season. That dude hustles his ass off. Like, yeah, and and fun. again, Sam Fetter played really well for that D two lab. The mm-hmm. drosts, yeah, holy crap, drops. man! I <laughs> they're number one and number two in blocks in this league's <laughs> history, and I think that they have a different perception than how they actually are as players. Both of them gave 
Anders Jungsson, the semifinal matchup against Carolina, some pretty fitful matchups in just locking down on them. They they have a humbleness in how they match up with their opponent where they don't care what kind of player you are, what line you're on. They're just going to run with you. And you just mm-hmm. like see that again and again. There was that swing in the end zone for Carolina when they were pinned. And Ryan Dross just ran underneath of it in the semifinal game and swatted it down. New York gets a oh, goal yeah. line break conversion. Like they just, they continue to They're get They're hustle guys. Blocks. Yeah, but they they are the best block getters ever at it. And they've done it now for <laughs> what, 10 years a piece? Like it's just yeah. the consistency with which they do it uh, throughout any kind of game, throughout any kind of setting continues to be remarkable and again they're just kind of in this lineup that there's a whole grip of guys who are doing those sorts of things they all seem to come through with pretty impressive hustle plays when the team needs them and this is their second lineup this isn't this isn't with <laughs> right. Brownlee and Benyat and Ben Katz and John Randolph who was remarkable in his uh, lockdown defense all weekend Jabron Mieser, like their their defense yeah, it's, goes what it, fourteen deep? Yeah, just about. I and I feel like maybe only Carolina is the other team that could say sure. their defense legitimately goes fourteen deep. Sure, but yeah, you what? Oh, I was just agreeing. Oh yeah, uh, I I was just looking at the the overall points played also, and you look at the difference. You know, just speaking to New York's depth. No one on the team played fewer than eight points in that championship game. Chicago, on the other hand, had five guys that played three points or fewer. So they were really only playing with 15 guys in that game, Chicago was. I mean, we saw Joe White crossing over to offense a good amount. And maybe part of that was just the the way the game went and Chicago feeling like they need to lean on their top players. But I don't know, something tells me if New York was just battling throughout they they clearly trust their depth and rightfully so yeah actually evan lepler wrote about the same thing in the tuesday toss this weekend about just how impressive new york stepped was and how representative it was in that points played stat and you mm-hmm. know i just uh, you know jack williams even kind of summarizes it uh to pull a quote the depth is why we are as good as a team as we are it's definitely a team of quote stars whatever that means but there really should be a coverage of all 20 of <laughs> our players and even our bench guys the yeah. level of play is so intense there's no easy matchups no easy wins he's talking about a practice i feel like i'm a better player than when we started you know it's just they've kind of become that team that i think steel is sharpened steel and why they probably you know head into next season as favorites against the field yeah, uh, yeah, we talked about this in our in our ADL weekly recording today, and I I am curious. Just I, first of all, I'm curious like what percentage of their roster returns. Like it, it does seem like there's a ton of buy-in, but you just never really know until you know February March rolls around exactly who's going to be returning to the team. I I think they do obviously have the best combination of top end talent and depth in the entire league. But also, with the way D.C. is still constantly creeping on them, Carolina is still always going to be Carolina. Like those, I guess those two teams, to me, uh, put enough 
questions in my mind of New York's ability to repeat as champions next year. But I I don't know. I kind of I'll probably go back and forth until rosters are released on whether or not I think New York is going to do it. I just think it's it'd be three championships in four seasons if they are able to win next year. And like they do face really good competition against these other teams. They also had like a near perfect championship weekend. Like they were really playing their best ultimate at the end of the season. And I just don't know how much of a guarantee that is year to year. I think, yeah, in an abstract bubble, I can see your argument, but it's, it's Jeff freaking Williams, man, and Ryan freaking Osgar and Ben freaking Williams and Jeff freaking Babbitt. I mean, did you <laughs> did you see the buzzer beater at the end of the third quarter again? Where this this I New saw York it, team, I saw it through my camera. Yes, uh, it's a good one. They are the greatest end of quarter team ever. Like, there's just not an advantage that you can have against them offensively or defensively. Jack Williams putting up these moon balls to whatever giant is going to come down with them in the end zone, it's now becoming just a weekly occurrence in the biggest <laughs> games think, of the season. Do you think Jack Williams, would you, like, is he, is there some magic to his buzzer beater throws that makes him, like, the best buzzer beater thrower? Or is it just that he's throwing to these amazing athletes? I think on Saturday night it was Jeff Babbitt. I mean, yeah, it, it was a great disc. There, There's... I, I'm he not going to sit here and criticize Jack Williams' throws or his placement. <laughs> no, no, no criticism. No... I'm just like, what What percent of the buzzer-beating magic is because of Jack Williams' throws versus who he's throwing to? On Saturday night, the one at the end of the third quarter, I would put to about 15% Jack Williams and 85% Jeff Babbitt. Because Asher Lance, who had an impressive set of games at championship weekend impressive season yeah like honestly i i really need to consider him on an all rookie team because i agree like for 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 the need that that chicago defense had for like golf missing time at times and just needing another big defender he has been so impressive for the union as a rookie um he he played great in the championship game he was pressuring babbitt a lot throughout that game he was not making underneath cuts easy for Jeff Babbitt, which is a very, very, very impressive thing to say for any defender. I think he's, you know, we we talk about Babbitt's skill in the air and his big body, but his foot speed combined with his size make him such an adversary to try and get any sort of disruption on underneaths. And Lance, to his credit, did a really good job, I thought, of engaging Babbitt and not shying away from knowing when to kind of hold his ground and he did on that buzzer beater he had position he was underneath it to make a play jeff babbage just went up with two hands man like what are you (laughs) gonna do it's too big it's it's i also i also will say i think the way babbage recovered from hitting the ground to me that was more impressive than the catches oh he does that all the time man the no hand back handspring thing i love it he's been perfecting Uh. for a while it's awesome. I honestly like that. That fuels even more momentum than if he just like caught the buzzer beater and walked off the field. I don't know, man. He's the buzzer beater scenarios where he does this stuff. It's like I was saying to somebody, it's like the comet hitting the or the asteroid hitting the planet Earth and killing all the dinosaurs. Like there's just 
there's a there's a cataclysmic energy to it even on that play like everyone else is just like hitting the deck he's got the disc he's running to the (laughs) sideline everyone's just sort of like taking in the moment and he's just like walking coolly away from the explosion almost like it's just and again it's it it was that inevitability of the moment like you see the disc going up you see who the intended receiver is you know what the moment is like it it just feels like ball game at a certain point with this team and until someone kind of disrupts that that almost like you say that like magic quality or something to these these end of quarter situations the way in which new york pulls out these clutch moments again and again and again like they just it's hard for me to think of anyone else as a championship favorite the, I, as good, the evolution. And I agree with you. Like as good as DC, as good as Carolina, as good as Chicago have been against them the past couple of seasons, it's just, ugh. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I hear you. The evolution of of buzzer beaters and and I guess like the the importance that has been placed on them by teams, rightfully so. I think it's been a super interesting like just development league wide and, and well, like game planning for, you know, 30 second situations versus 15 second situations. And I, I think New York has almost put more of an emphasis because it's, it's the combination of like, yeah, they're, they're sort of mini breaks, but also just mentally. And from a mo- momentum standpoint, you see what they can create either if your team is up a bunch or if you're trying to surmount a comeback, like, DC's buzzer beater, their third quarter buzzer beater was a big reason why they were able to close the gap in the fourth and, you know, make New York win on a buzzer beater of their own. Like they really are sort of, I I don't even want to call them special teams. Like I want to, it's like they're more important than what special teams would be in football. They're just like a, an integral part of a team. I got a contention with you there as a Green Bay Packers fan because uh, special teams <laughs> really boned up the last season. All right, special and, teams is a big deal. If, but yeah, if your team is terrible at it. But I, I agree. The, the end of quarter situations are very, very crucial for any team, let alone one contending for a championship in the semifinals or the finals. But, you know, like we've been putting the spotlight on the Babbitt buzzer beater and rightfully so, but there was an equally important end of half scenario where Chicago had possession driving Mm -hmm. out of their own end zone. And then there was a drop. The union had a couple of unfortunate to bad drops drops. in the championship game, which just you can't do against any opponent, but especially against this empire team and the empire picked up the disc and Jack Williams looked like he was literally fired out of a cannon towards the back corner and just blitz past whatever, Chicago defense had been set up and uh, Marcus Brownlee got the disc and just quickly fed him it. And I think there was like under, there was at least under 30 seconds to play. I think there was under much less than that even. Um, But it was another one of those just end of quarter situations where it seems like not only are the empire practice in those scenarios, they have players that become especially attuned in those moments. Like they just, they always convert in these scenarios. Like I even think back to the first uh, championship weekend game last year where Brownlee got that disc right outside of the end zone against San Diego. And, yeah, you know, Predator mm-hmm. naturally like did a scuba to the back of the end zone and found <laughs> um, Mike Drost just standing alone. And, and, you know, like 
obviously all of the buzzer beaters that Ben Ya and Jack Williams and Jeff Babbitt have been involved in, but it, it, there's just so many players who are locked in. Uh, the John Randolph handbock play in the semifinals, you know, that was in a end of quarter situation where they yeah. were on defense and they get a turn with less than 20 <laughs> seconds to go in the quarter and engineer a scoring drive in the final moments, you know, like they just, they're built that way. It's yeah. It's, it's really amazing to see the consistency in which they do it. Do you feel like the league is going to continue shifting, uh, I guess, shifting strategy towards emphasizing the importance of those buzzer beaters or like if we're going to see more, more and more buzzer beater specialists, I always think of Trevor Purdy as the classic example with San Diego, who really throughout their, I think it was the 2019 season, like I felt like he came down with, I don't know, between like five and 10 throughout the year. Um, I, I'm always curious, like if that, if the importance of buzzer beaters continues to be like a more and more featured part that teams are focused on. Yeah, I think they're going to remain eminently uh, significant as long as the rule set stays in this kind of approximate formation. I don't know Mm -hmm. about specialists beyond one or two per line because of the way in which you can still effectively get drive sequences. I know like there's the situations where you have like three seconds or less where you just have like a throw or two, but in a lot of end of quarter situations, like if you have 20 seconds or less, 10 seconds or less, you have the opportunity to kind of like drive within striking distance. So I don't know if you're ever going to see just complete specialization of like large players or or a team maybe going out and just recruiting like a a volleyball or a basketball. Yeah, just get like like, like semi-pro basketball players or something that aren't doing anything on Saturday. I still think... Throw them out there. I still think given the versatility needed for almost any Frisbee situation that it would still take a lot to train that, you know, hypothetical buzzer beater bar- gargantuan up that you would just be as well to <laughs> yeah figure out a different defensive set with what you have going on i don't know i i, I hear what you're saying um i i guess until somebody tries it i i remain a little bit skeptical of it working because again yeah, i don't know if you can fair. really i don't know if you can really sacrifice a, an entire roster spot to somebody who what would play 4 points a game i know they're very crucial 4 <laughs> points but i i don't know i mean hopefully you 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 know train the guy to be a decent i hopefully the guy is already an ultimate player but if not hopefully he can just be a serviceable defender uh or you know red zone threat in other situations too i don't know i'm more i'm more just thinking of like you know if you take a team like carolina or dc and they're up against new york and they're basically just like we have no answers for these buzzer beater situations i i do think they're they're critical enough that like you have to come up with some game plan and an approach on, on how to deal with that on how to limit new york's and then also how to convert some of your own and i don't know one potential answer might be to really get a buzzer beater specialist whose sole purpose is to be out there on those possessions 
what like a Misha Freestadter clone or something like exactly a Misha Freestadter, but but like maybe minimal ultimate experience, just like a big body that is super athletic. I don't know. I I I think I'm th- I'm thinking out loud. I'm not saying that this would ever happen, but I, I'm <laughs> I'm curious of like what what these buzzer beater situations mean to teams because I'm also I also feel like there's a lot of teams that just don't handle the situations well in general and and that also is probably just like a, a coaching emphasis that still needs to develop a bit more in prepping for those you know 15 to 30 second situations but i i do think like again this new york team has shined light on the importance of them and i just wanted to congratulate again the runner-up chicago union i was so impressed with them this season i said it on AUDL weekly and i'll say it again here i think that they're absolutely deserving of you know their second place finish i don't think that there's any real question about you know potential other teams that have played new york well i know that there's a lot of impressive teams in this league but i think the union deserve it their standing as number two right now. I thought that, you know, despite the eight goal disparity at the end, they played the empire about as well as you could have to begin. And I think that the the margin at the end was more reflective of them kind of trying some very long shot strategies in the final quarter more than them getting decimated by that amount. Um, I... I, I just enjoyed watching their games a lot this season. I thought offensively, they have one of the most unique approaches. I think that their balance between possession attacks and their ability to strike down field is as good as any team other than New York. Um, and then defensively, they just, they're smart, you know? And I think that starts with the addition of Nolik uh, and like what you were saying as far as her capacity to keep this team prepared but also I think that the players on this field really stepped up into those roles you know we talk about Lance we talk about uh, Jason Valley playing elevated this season obviously Nate Goff is a part of this unit and he was I think important in his presence this weekend I don't think he necessarily had you know the the takeaways or the big moments that we might have expected from him but you know just his his ability to take number one matchups and give them hell for 48 minutes, uh, I think is as impressive as any individual on Chicago and just, yeah, I don't know. They, they really impressed me in 2022. I think even more so than in 2021. Uh, I really think that this was the best Chicago team in their franchise's existence. I would agree. And and we we were both doubters. I, I would like to apologize, but also say you're welcome to Chicago as a team for for fueling the, the motivation they needed to be the second best team in the league this season. But really, I mean, yeah, I, I did not at all expect their offense to outperform last year's offense, did not at all expect their defense to really come together and, and show that they can be a really formidable D-line offense in addition to their takeaway numbers. Like you said, they had a lot of guys that just like stepped up into their roles, like Asher Lance, Jace Bruner, Sam Kaminsky on offense, Nick Pappas late in the year after sort of splitting his time randomly between offense and and defense. Like they just have a lot of good young players who, I mean, really talk about depth. This was 
ultimately one of the deeper and better teams in the entire league. And I think it just goes to show that like we, even if like we don't know the the biggest names on all the, or if we only know the biggest names on some of these teams, there is often a lot of talent behind them. And we should keep that in mind going into next season. You know, I think similar to the Empire offense, one of the biggest compliments I can pay to the Union offense is that it's kind of indestructible in a certain sense. You can try and make roadblocks for it, disassemble various parts of it. But if you leave any combination of two players to find a rhythm together, they will find it. And you just saw that repeatedly throughout the season. I think you saw that this weekend when Colorado came out and did that force middle against them. And it kind of took away what Chicago likes to generate in the backfield, but it meant that Shanahan and Arters were going to be getting the disc more downfield to Jeff Weiss and Chicago is just fine with that kind of game plan. Um, and then in the championship game, I think even though, again, they, they struggled uh, more so than they have in other games, they were still effective, I think, in some of the looks that they presented in New York. New York's defense was just on a different level in the semifinals and finals. Um, but, you know, Shanahan was impressive again. Kyle Rutledge played really, really well this weekend, I thought. Paul Giannis did a good job, similar to New York Stars, of knowing when he needed to be present and when to let the offense cycle through other portions. I just, I was really impressed with the union's ability to, like New York, take whatever kind of pressure was applied to them and figure out some way to still move the disc. Right. Yeah, Pavel drew the the Brownlee matchup for basically the entire game, and, and that it's it's always interesting like i mean the whole shift from marcus brownlee to now being like the their top handler defender on new york like i i never thought of him as like having the quickness to keep up with a lot of these guys but he he did a great job on pavel i think pavel had his number on a few few throws and a few cuts like pavel did sneak deep a couple times but generally like i i think pavel has done a fantastic job leading this offense and really, I, I do have to go back and watch the game because I, I want to look at like specific matchups like that and look at like Weiss and Yacht and Goff on Yacht when Yacht switched over to offense. There was one play where it was like a big huck that went up to Yacht and you thought he'd come down with it. But him and Goff both kind of jumped early. It was kind of like the Yacht-Henry Fisher situation from the semifinal game, that early shot that went up and they both kind of misread it. But I, I credit the defense with making that play. So I, yeah, this this game featured a lot of like the top players at at their respective positions matching up against each other, and yeah, I'm excited to look back and of course look forward and, and just see what both these teams have in store for next year. So New York entered 2022 as the presumptive favorite. They close it out in the exact same fashion, and they basically set themselves up for a similar storyline heading into 2023. However, it still feels like the parity in this league continues to develop, and I think, once again, we had a postseason going in where, despite New York's dominance, it felt like a full field of contenders, and I expect nothing less next season with the possible addition of a couple more expansion teams to join the fold with Colorado, Salt Lake, and Portland, uh, Salt Lake, and Colorado obviously being so impressive in their first seasons. And just, again, there, there's there's at least two 
championship-ish contenders in every division right now with, you know, teams developing behind that. Um, in the West, there's so much young talent, I think, heading into next season that it's going to be hard to really tell who's going to be up for that third seed necessarily. Um, yeah, it, it just, I think for as impressive as the Empire are and will be going forward in the near-term future, they're going to be hard-pressed to keep their reign uh, in this league. You know, they join San Jose, excuse me, the Oakland franchise as the only two AUDL franchises with two AUDL titles. Um, but it's going to be hard for them to add three to that total, I think. I, I, I lock expect- in, lock in your way too early prediction. Does do, does New it's York still win New York for title? me? It's just, you're, you're saying you're locking it in. You're saying they're going to win the 2023 ADL title. Yeah. Saying they if they, if they return the same core and some approximation of the same roster elsewhere, especially that defense. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. I, yeah, I, I, I'm curious to see what their roster looks like. I, I suspect it'll look largely the same. And they've done such a good job of like keeping their their primary core and then building this core of stars and then adding more stars every season. That's always a fun storyline in the offseason. Just like who who else is New York going to add to this super team? I don't know. I don't know, but it's it's hard to get away from what they already have, right? Like it still just feels like no matter who else they bring in, the core is and will always be, you know, Ryan Osgar, Jack Williams, Jeff Babbitt, and Ben Gott. And you, I think you just saw that this weekend. They they all had a comfort level at that event that almost no yes. other player had. They walked in knowing that championship trophy was theirs, and they played like it every single point. Was there any, did you feel any like sense of, of doubt or like maybe Chicago could pull it off considering the fact that New York had the Carolina game circled for like the whole season and then maybe they, maybe there was a chance they could come out a little flat or a little less prepared in the championship game or were you always, you know, pretty confident throughout I was always confident because they never were pressed, you know, and you read Jack Williams talking in the Tuesday toss about their mindset. They just, and, and Ryan Osgar talked about it in some uh, podcasts, I believe with Dan Hilton leading into the weekend where they understood if they just played their game, even like a B B plus version of that game, they had enough trust in whatever else their defense is doing uh, that, they knew that they were going to win. And you could just see that every single quarter at championship weekend. They and just, that's so that's they so were, not fair that, that know, they only they have unaffected. to play their B, their B level game. Cause the, you know, obviously well, it's their, if, if they do, if they do lose the championship or if they don't win the championship next year, it's going to be because one of those other teams had to play their a or a plus game. And they happened to, time it right in a matchup against that's what the flyers did in 2021 to new york for sure right 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 and i think it's possible again but it's it's a luxury new york has that they don't need to play their best of best game i will say that's by their standards a quote-unquote b game (laughs) yeah yeah no of course of course it's still a very good game when they have what 19 turnovers in championship weekend yeah well and again i think it's I think it's the way in which they've also sort of enlivened the roster. I think 
I think not only does Ben Yacht transitioning to defense make more sense after talking with him, you know, in our, our interview with him the other day of like a mentality standpoint for where he's at right now, just kind of getting to go out there and unleash and play make, I think is an A1 mindset to put Ben Yacht into. Um, but I also think it just kind of keeps everything fresh. Like you you now have an offense that had been dominated by Yacht since 2018, uh, now cycling through different pieces and different looks and having a slightly different rhythm, you know? And I think that that sort of nuance of strategic development is so satisfying for competitors at the level of New York's. Like that's that's kind of what, Jack Williams and Ryan Osgar crave like they they're the kinds of players who want that little bit of new challenge okay you took away the MVP from our options downfield like we'll figure out this different sort of offense that we're going to run through okay DC you're going to problematize Ryan Osgar's perfection as a thrower this season we're going to change him into a receiving option and rely more on Chartok and Rushmeyer Bailey than ever before who we're really, really confident in. And oh, also we've got Jack Williams. You know, like I think those kinds of, for as much as uh, as an opponent, you want to present New York with new options and new challenges, that's exactly what the Empire want right now. You know, like that's what, an, uh, that's what a dynasty is built on. And that's what you, I think you hear when you listen to how the Bulls constructed their dynasty after a certain number of years where it's like, the challenge isn't just winning, it's facing these slightly new variations on it and getting a slightly new sort of energy each time you vanquish a, a different challenger, you know? And I think New York's just in that mindset, right? Where they they want that. They're, they're about that smoke, you know? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. You could I'm see also... that in, in like their matchup with Carolina where they had just circled that on their matchup and you just saw yeah. it on Friday night where it was like, we're here for this like we know you guys are talented but we are here tonight i'm also looking back at ben yacht's stats and do you know how many throwaways he had in the championship game for the third straight season zero zero yeah it's it's like stuff like that like they're they are they are playing an incredibly high level of ultimate when it matters even they're one of their more throwaway prone guys like Ben Yad almost always hovering around like 90% completions but the fact he he like he just knows what it takes he can turn it on when the game matters more than any other game in the season and like the I don't know it's it's sort of like a, a top to bottom consistency thing again with the roster like these guys show up in big games and I think we're seeing that every single year well, that will do it for our championship game, championship weekend recap episode here on Swing Pass. I just want to thank on behalf of myself and Daniel, your listenership, not only recently, but all season long and probably even before that. We appreciate so much the ability to come on here and talk about Ultimate particularly about the AUDL and all the goings on. We will continue to do through the off season, but for right now, we will be taking brief hiatus. I don't know if we will be back next week or not. Obviously, just pay attention to see if there will be a new episode, but it is our off season officially, although we don't get much rest uh, for the wary. We have plenty <laughs> of projects to be working on, and as we kind of hinted at, possible new expansion teams 
to help you developing. So there is going to be a ton of new AUDL news coming out. Uh, one thing that I haven't mentioned this episode, there will be a, a second All-Star game in 2022 in November Ooh. in Portland, Oregon, November 11th and 12th, played at Providence Park. That is the Portland Nitros home stadium and MLS stadium. Going to be super tricked out. Should be super fun. Of course, the inaugural AUDL All-Star event went to sudden death double overtime between Team KPS and Team Rowan. Pavel Giannis hauling in the game-winning goal in sudden death for the Team KPS win. It will be super interesting to see what this year's season of rosters will hold. I'm sure there will be another the live player AUDL draft that was so much fun in 2019. Can't see them passing that up again this year. Um, but yeah, there should be a ton of news coming up. Obviously starting with the All-Star, but lots more coming on the way as well. We thank you again so much for listening. We'll be talking to you soon. Bye now.